Get ready to listen, learn, and earn CE hours. This podcast features content from an accredited CE activity provided by Calibri Healthcare. Visit EliteLearning.com slash podcasts for accreditation and disclosure statements and instructions on how you may be able to earn CE credits. Babies, because they have decreased immune systems, are particularly uh, at risk for infections. There's one really bad infection that can get into powdered formula, and it's a bacteria called Chronobacter sakazaki. Hello and welcome to this three-part podcast series about the impact of infant formula recall on both parents and their babies. I'm Jonna Emil, and I'll be your host today. In the first two episodes, you'll hear from Dr. Stephen Abrams, and in the third episode, the impact on one mother and her son, Mason. Now let's get started. Dr. Abrams, you're a board-certified pediatrician and professor, right? Yes, and I'm also a neonatologist, so clinically I practice neonatology. Fantastic. What else can you tell us about yourself? I know there's much more than that. I saw your CV. Come on, don't be shy. <laughs> well, I've spent my career doing research in infant nutrition, so I, I both looking at human milk as well as infant formulas. And then I've done a lot of public policy work. It's a real interest of mine, including being the chair of the Committee on Nutrition American Academy of Pediatrics, which is a position I just finished in. And right now I edit a, a, a journal, a book actually called The Yellow Book, which is the American Academy of Pediatrics guidelines for infant and childhood nutrition. Fantastic. That's excellent. So I, I got to be honest, I am going to open up this conversation, right? We're going to talk about the core issue around this infant formula shortage, but Honestly, and, and personally, as a nurse, uh, just as a fellow human, this is like frustratingly insane hearing about the shortage and understanding truly the downstream effects of it. So I would like you to first help frame up exactly what happened. What, why are we here? What primarily caused this formula shortage? Sure. So beginning with the pandemic in early 2020, we started to see supply chain issues of all sorts of things, paper towels and, and the like. Yeah. And at the same time, we were also seeing some formula shortages. Instead of the shelves being full, they might have been a half full, a quarter full. People were just having trouble getting formula supplies and getting it into the stores. That got better in 2021 and people kind of forgot about it. Then in late 2021, supply chain issues popped up again. Even as you go to the store now, you see shortages of breakfast cereal and all sorts of things like that. But then we had a big disaster. In February of 2022, one of the largest producers of formula in the United States, uh, Abbott, which has a factory in Michigan, a place called Sturgis, Michigan, that factory had a major recall and shutting. And that was just kind of tipped the whole thing over the edge. And in particular, that factory made specialized formulas. That's formulas for babies with severe allergies, babies with intestinal diseases. And it supplied those throughout the world. So not only did we have a shortage of regular formula, but then we had a shortage of these specialized formulas that babies have to have to live and grow. Yeah. So it's all spun out of control yeah. in early 2022. In the last 48 hours, you know, the funny thing before we hopped on, when I was thinking about this conversation we were going to have, it, it was in the past tense in my mind. But in the last 48 hours, didn't I just see something on the news about a shutdown again or a recall? What We're here again. Where are we at now? Yeah. So the factory in Michigan had closed. 
was reopened on about a week and a half ago, June 4th. And then there's a big storm in Michigan on Monday and they got some weather damage in the factory and they've closed it down again. So that factory had, was only going to be making these specialized formulas. These were called amino acid based formulas for a while. So it won't affect the main formula production, but it sets those specialized formulas back even farther. Yeah. And that's a problem. So let's talk a little bit about, let's try to frame up production, right? And regulation. So in the way of supply chain issues, I think we can put that aside for a second, but in the case of the recall, where the formula had to be recalled, there was something wrong with that, right? What's that process look like? Who, who regulates that and who says, nope, stop, we're bringing that back? So infant formula is the only food in the United States that's regulated by law. Oh. So it's a law called the Infant Formula Act of 1980. And that law was put in place because, in fact, formulas were not regulated beforehand. And people actually released the formula with very low amounts of chloride in it because they're trying to limit the salt. And babies were terribly damaged by it. So the FDA regulates all infant formula. And they do that based on this law called the Infant Formula Act of 1980, as amended in 1986. And it's very detailed. And it provides not only what should be in formula in terms of the basic components, but also the FDA then has all sorts of rules about supervision of the manufacturing, shipping, importation, how to regulate new formulas on the market. So the system is virtually entirely controlled by this law then is executed by the FDA. Okay. How did we come to know then at this point with the recall that something was in fact wrong? There was contamination, there was an issue. How did we get there? So powder infant formula is not sterile. You can't sterilize it in a big sterilization system. So liquid formula is sterile. Before it comes out of the factory, it's run through a sterilizer, just like we would sterilize things in a hospital. They can't be done for powder. It would destroy the powder. So in order to make sure that the powder is safe and doesn't have bacteria in it, they rely on all sorts of safety things, cleanliness, wearing caps, and it's like a pharmaceutical system of super cleanliness. Babies, because they have decreased immune systems, are particularly uh, at risk for infections. There's one really bad infection that can get into powder formula, and it's a bacteria called Cronobacter sakazaki. And it used to be called, you may hear it called Enterobacter Sakazaki, but the current name mm. is Cronobacter. And Cronobacter causes severe, severe neurological disease and brain damage, mostly in babies who are either immunocompromised or born prematurely or are less than about two months of age, especially under the first month of age. And sometimes it can live on a countertop. Some, that's why we tell moms make sure we're using clean water when they prepare formula. And sometimes it can slip into powder formula. So the factory in Michigan has some cases in which babies who received formula from there got this bacteria. And when the FDA investigated, they found this bacteria in the factory. Now, it's a matter of uncertainty whether or not this was a cause and effect. But nonetheless, the FDA had enough concerns that they asked the formula company to take some intervention. The formula company then made a recall of all the formula that had come from that factory and closed the factory down. After three months, the FDA and the formula company came to an agreement on reopening it based on improving that situation. But now we're in a situation where it's closed again. Yeah, here we are. Were there infants that were affected by that, by the bacteria? 
there were several infants that had the bacteria who had taken formula from that factory. It's in some area of contention whether or not that was a cause and effect, whether or not mm-hmm. that was where they got it from. But nonetheless, there were some babies that did get Coronabacter, and some of them had bad outcomes. Yeah, I can imagine that. So you you mentioned specialty formulas, that being, you know, one of the things that were really affected, right? So something that, that really sits the top of mind for me when I hear about this is who is most affected by the formula shortage? So specialty formulas, I think about, you know, I'm a nurse myself, pediatrics is my clinical specialty. I think about the babies in the NICU, right? I think about those who really do require specialty formula and remembering how wildly important nutrition is to to babies and kids in general. And then I think about community. I think about low income. I think about folks that already are experiencing a huge gap in healthcare and resources. Where are we with them as far as this population? Well, you've gotten a lot of the topics that are really at the heart of this. So let me kind of deconstruct that a little bit. First of all, the specialty formulas. So the most specialty formulas are used for babies who have severe intestinal disease or severe allergies. And the most broken down protein formulas are called amino acid-based formulas. The largest supplier in the United States was that factory that closed. There are alternatives around the world and in the United States, but they couldn't fill in the gap. So there's been a huge crisis for those babies with severe allergies and intestinal disease. Same thing for babies with severe renal disease, and the same thing for babies with very rare inborn areas of metabolism like phenylketonuria. So those formulas were all made at that factory and all got recalled or shut down. So that was that was a big problem. So that's one issue. And as we'll talk about, the importation of formulas was particularly designed to, to, to respond to that. And we'll come back to that, I'm sure, in a little bit. In terms of the bigger question, you're absolutely right. This has been an unfair, non-equitable problem in our society. The reality is that in order to find formulas, families are driving for hours, they're searching out formulas, they're buying more expensive formulas than they might have otherwise bought. Unquestionably an equity and social justice kind of a problem. Families who are lower income can't. The other problem was the WIC program. About half of families, including many of our lower income families, get their uh, formula um, supported from the WIC program. The WIC program is called the Supplemental Program for Women, Infants, and Children, the Special Supplemental Program for Women, Infants, and Children. And it provides about half the formula used in the United States and for individual families, about three quarters of their formula need. That formula works by contract. So the company that had had the problem and the recall provided a large portion of all of that formula in the WIC program in the whole country, almost half of it. Wow. That caused the problem. So WIC people did an amazing job. And the WIC program has also been dealing with the consequences of the pandemic and trying to deal with, you know, getting families signed up on WIC and all that sort of stuff based on the challenges of the pandemic. So WIC had to re-engineer its entire system to allow alternative company formulas. And the United States Department of Agriculture, the USDA, manages the WIC program. And so they had to give permission because the WIC program works on a rebate. The company that has the contract basically gives it away to the U.S. government almost for free. Ah. Okay. But the other companies don't. So the cost good bit of money, but we've had to 
make alternatives. And the WIP program normally limits the size of a container you can buy and all sorts of stuff of that sort. Um, so all those adjustments have had to be made for lower-income families. Um, in some cases, even families for whom it's been a real struggle have had to go out there and buy their formula, which is, can be challenging. Absolutely. You know, this may not be a Dr. Abrams question, but we keep talking about this single factory, right? Not to call out just a single factory, but I keep thinking, why do we have a single factory that produces so much of the formula that we rely on? And if that system fails, we doesn't sound like we have a great backup. Well, there are about 20 factories, but the, some of them are fairly small. And the factory that went down was one of the biggest. Factories, these factories are very expensive. They're, again, they're like pharmaceutical manufacturing yeah. factories, and they cost a lot of money. In fact, recently a very small new factory was uh, opened up by a small company that's making kind of a specialty niche formula, uh, um, a super organic kind of a formula. And they claimed when they opened it a few weeks ago that it was the first new factory opened in like 15 years in the United States. Wow. So it's not, you, you can't make these at the same places that you're buying your your, your Cheerios at. You know, you're not making those <laughs> at the same place. The level, I mean, again, it's much like making drugs in terms of the, the, and they're expensive. And then when something happens like a rainstorm that was big that caused a leak, and again, thinking about sterility, imagine if you're working in a hospital and an ICU and there's a big leak in the ceiling, what that would do to all your sterility yeah. issues. So the same thing kind of happened. And that's what's caused us a problem. Going forward, we do need to do something about that. I mean, yeah. there's no question that that's a problem. Yeah, absolutely. What about that, that importing you mentioned, that we're importing formulas or contracting with other companies? Sure. So... When it became clear that we were really having severe shortages, you know, shelves were empty, the United States government um, has created a system by which they're allowing the importation of formulas, both from the three largest companies that currently work in the United States, which is Abbott, Reckitt, Mead, Johnson, and Nestle Gerber, as well as some new companies that not previously been seen in the United States, in particular two as of today, um, mid-June, have been allowed permission to enter the United States that were not here before. One from Britain called Kendamil and the other from Australia called Bubs. Um, so those formulas are being flown in, um, some of them by military craft, some of them by civilian aircraft, and they've begun to reach the United States. So I was just told yesterday that the very first of the English formula, the Kendamil, was seen at targets. <laughs> so. Yeah. And the, uh, them and the other company have made deals with Walmart, Albertsons, Kroger's, and many more, I'm sure, in the process. So they're trying to go after the big name places where available as much as possible, you know, broadly and all yeah. as a society um, to, to get these distributed. So that's a big deal. Um, it'll help. But it's taken some time. They they announced the permission to import formula almost a month ago, and it's just now getting onto the store shelves. And what's that mean for us in the United States? So thinking about our regulations and policies, like we know our stuff here and how and what we're looking at and how we manage that, but it's coming from somewhere else. So how do we get those things to sync up? The first thing to know is that the formulas are coming in from the United Kingdom and from um, Australia are fabulous formulas. They're completely safe. 
The agencies which regulate those in Europe and in Australia are sensational agencies. There's nothing to be concerned about. They're every bit as safe as anything you'd buy in the United States. So we can, on the other hand, they do things differently there. So some of the nutrients are a tiny bit different. They're labeled differently and the scoops may be different. So for example, we tend to scoop in ounces, right? Two ounces to scoop. They don't do ounces in many of these countries. They do milliliters. Now, nurses are used to using milliliters all the time, but families are not. Uh, Just as we're used to translating for families in a pediatric setting, mLs to ounces for their use, we're going to have to do that. We're also going to have to make families read the label. It's not always two scoops to an ounce uh, or or scoop to two ounces, which is typical in the United States. Some of them are one-to-one. So people are going to have to read the labels. Pediatricians, nurses, dietitians are all going to have to help families understand what a milliliter is, how the label is going to look different. Um, um, but but they should not be concerned about seeing new brands. That's a that's a good thing. Okay. Good. But one other thing. One other thing is that they've agreed to the importation of formula made out of goat's milk. We've never had an infant goat milk-based formula. Europe and Australia and other countries have had it for a number of years. Wow. Some people feel that babies like goat milk better. I'm not convinced, but, you know, it's it's an option. Um, so you may see, you know, a cute little picture of a baby goat. <laughs> and, <laughs> and, and they'll say goat's milk-based formula. And, and there's, again, these have all been approved by the authorities in the country they come from. And the FDA has looked at the data from those countries and agreed that they're safe to use here in the United States. Okay. Well, I like goat cheese, so I'm not mad at that milk option. But let's talk about how they are prioritizing that. If if they are, I'm just curious, if we think about an infant population here and we think about who's at most risk and we have to prioritize or we got to triage, like who gets the formula first? What are we sending first? How do we do that? So they did prioritize the importation of some of these amino acid formulas first. Um, Nestle in Europe had a supply that they shipped over that's, that's reached the United States. Um, so those have been prioritized because that's just such a crisis for those families that can't get those. Yeah. They're also trying to make some um, dealings with some of the other specialized formulas, the metabolic formulas of that sort. After that, it's really what they can get. Again, the three companies that primarily operate in the United States, which is Abbott, Rickaby Johnson, and Nestle Gerber, have all agreed to increase their imported formulas, including importing from countries that they didn't usually import from before. Mm. So that meant the FDA had to give them permission to use formulas. So one's coming in from Singapore, another from Mexico. Again, these are all companies with a tremendous background of producing formulas. So there's no safety concern, but they did have to get permission to do that. So the companies themselves are responsible for distribution with some help from the U.S. government. And that's why they're trying to target some of these big stores um, so families can the, the shop at all sorts of different stores can find them. Yeah. One of the things that I, I saw a note of, and I was telling you this before we recorded, on my shelf right at the grocer, I see all sorts of new milks all the time. Me, I like oat milk, so I'm always searching for different types of milk. And A2, I see an A2 milk on there, but it's just next to you know, regular milk I would use for cereal. But I'm reading that that is uh, infant formula 
brand or something like that. What is that? So A2 milk is milk made from cows who produce a special protein that's a little different from the routine protein called A2 milk. Most cows produce two types of protein, A1, this is the caseins, A1 and A2 casein protein. Cows are, A2 milk is only A2. There's some limited data, very limited data, that some adults tolerate it better, that don't have mm. as much upset stomach, etc. There's no data on infants at all. Nonetheless, some of the formula companies have kind of gone on the bandwagon and are making their milk out of from the A2 cows, including one of the companies that's importing, Bubs from Australia, uses a lot of A2 milk. Um, I don't think there's any evidence it's any better, but if you, see, you may see it on the can, it says A2 milk, and like, what the heck is A2 milk? And so, yeah, no kidding. Um, for for the routine com- consumer, again, there's some people who f- tolerate. There's it said that they tolerate A2 milk better adults and older children. I'm not convinced, but but that's yeah, an individualized issue. In this episode, we heard about the complexity of events that led to the infant formula shortage. And infant formula is the only food that's regulated by law. So because of this, the government, in the form of the FDA, had to intervene to permit imports of infant formula from other countries. And included in those imports are goat milk-based products. So parents, you may see goat on the can of formula on your grocery shelves that wasn't there before. Please join us for the next episode in this podcast series when Dr. Abrams talks about how families have been coping with the lack of nutrition for their babies. This is John Emil for Ely Learning. This podcast featured content from an accredited CE activity provided by Calibri Healthcare. Visit EliteLearning.com slash podcasts for accreditation and disclosure statements and instructions on how you may be able to earn CE credits. Take your learning to the next level by subscribing to more podcasts on compelling healthcare topics.